American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm one of the co-founders of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's Friday episode, we are talking about the St. Louis Cardinals farm system because there's a lot of a lot of reason to talk about it, actually. There's a bunch of reasons why I wanted to get into the St. Louis Cardinals farm system. One is because I am always looking for an excuse to talk about Jordan Walker. Two, it's because there seems to be an added need for uh, Matthew Libertor to be able to help them with their big league rotation this year, but I have not loved all of the things I've seen from Libertor thus far, uh, but also there have been some positives there as well. Also wanted to talk a little bit about Nolan Gorman, and I got to see some of these other prospects on the back end of the top 10 at the St. Louis Cardinals backfields over in Jupiter, Florida, which I was really excited to see some of those guys like Mason Wynn, Josh Baez, and a few other names to watch that I'm excited to highlight as well. And as always, you can keep up with some of the video that I'm getting. I'll be traveling all over this year to different minor league games, but even right now, I'll try to get out to the backfields at least one or two more times uh, to keep up with some video and some uh, just Names you should know about via my Twitter at RMLayton8 to keep up over there. But let's get into this Cardinals farm system. One other reason also why I wanted to talk about the system is that I really think they should make a trade, uh, but we know that they probably won't. Katie Wu of The Athletic joined us on the Just Baseball show to tell us that the Cardinals have no interest in trading any of their top three guys. I wouldn't trade Jordan Walker in any circumstances. I could understand why they wouldn't want to trade Matthew Libertor since he's close to big league ready and they need arms. Nolan Gorman, on the other hand, I would consider dealing, but I have seen some positive things with him, and I know I've been very hard on Nolan Gorman, so I'm excited to discuss him. And then I wanted to talk about a little bit of Alec Burleson, because Burleson has looked really good in spring training thus far. The numbers may say differently, uh, but I've been just looking at the comfort of his at-bats, the swings he's been putting on, baseballs, and just his takes, everything. I mean, remember, this is a guy that made his pro debut last year. I'll get more into Burleson later in the episode, but for him to make his pro debut last year and work his way all the way up to AAA and now be holding his own in his ABs uh, with a lot of big league arms in spring training, Burleson is a legit prospect and a guy that I am very excited about moving forward as 
a high floor bat with a lot to like, but we'll get to him in a moment. So let's start with Jordan Walker, the guy at the top. And I mean, I can't reiterate enough just how impressed I am with Jordan Walker. Still 19 years old. He'll be 19 years old at the start of the season, which is just stupid because he put up ridiculous numbers last year. And Jordan Walker, to do what he did last season uh, as a guy that was drafted in 2020 as well out of high school, needed a nice signing bonus to be signed away from Duke as a guy who really prioritized academics. Both his parents were Ivy Leaguers, uh, so he was very keen on going to Duke and seemed to be a guy that was not very signable and also was, was viewed as a guy that could have some swing and miss risk as a six foot five, 220-pound third baseman that they weren't even sure if he'd be able to stick at that position either. Well, he, here's the thing with Jordan Walker. I think he's going to stick at third. I mean, we, we could see what happens over the course of a few years. He could slow down. Who, who knows? I don't think he is personally. I mean, if I'm working for the Cardinals and I'm writing a report, I'm saying I think he's sticking at third. I was really impressed with the way that he was able to move at the position. I was really impressed with the range. The arm is no doubt plus plus. He was up to the mid-90s on the mound in high school. So we know the arm plays there. He moves well, though. What I also like is that he's able to make tough throws on the run. He's been able to show that he can make throws from different arm angles. He is an athletic player. He runs at above average times. So that's just an example of, of how athletic he is. The numbers across low A and then high A are outstanding for a kid that was drafted out of high school with a power profile and a questionable hit tool at the time. I don't see the hit tool being that questionable now because he was a masher last season. As I've mentioned in the past, low A was quite literally a joke for Jordan Walker, which is typically a big jump for a high school bat, but in 27 games, he hit six home runs. He put up a 205 WRC plus. 374, 475, 687 slash line, 14.8% walk rate, 17% K rate. That's just stupid. And they realize very quickly uh, he does not need to be there any longer. So Walker gets a promotion to high A. High A was a bit more of a challenge, but I don't want challenge to carry a negative connotation because he was still well above average in that regard. Forgetting the age, forgetting that he's multiple years younger than the average competition, he was an above average player at that level, but the numbers were more along the lines of what you would expect from Jordan Walker or expect from a guy with his profile. Eight home runs in 55 games is phenomenal. He hit 292, 344, 487. When I talk about the numbers that you would expect, 6% walk rate, 27% K rate. So still the K rate is in check for a high school guy going straight to high A essentially. To keep that strikeout rate under 30% is phenomenal. To keep the average up at 292 is also phenomenal. The walk rate dropping is a testament to the fact that high A pitchers are not as scared of you and they will go at you with fastballs. But Jordan Walker showed his ability to hit those 124 WRC plus at that level with how young he was last year. He was a young 19, really closer to 18 at that time than he was to 19 years old. It's just crazy what he was able to do. He also mixed in 13 stolen bases at the high A level, which I know there were some weird rules about holding runners on, but it's just a testament to the fact that the guy can move better than you would expect for a guy who is six foot five, 225 pounds. Uh, but what I really like about Walker is his swing is pretty simple for how big he is. And he's a guy that already knows how to control his body. He's a guy that already has his cues and his movements down pretty well. Uh, there's some tweaks that he could make here and there, and I think there's some approach things that will continue to get better. But in terms of his swing movements, his pre-swing movements and everything that you look for for a hitter that 
generally is feeling things out at his stage of his professional career, he seems to find or have already found a lot of the movements that work for him. What I really like is that Christian Yelich sink back into his back hip because he's a guy that, you know, it's so easy to lose the base when you're so physical, so strong and so tall. And he really sinks back into his back leg really well, stays there and is very direct to the baseball. He's an 80 grade raw power guy. So why do you need to do much else? Focus on staying in the back hip, focus on limiting as much movement as possible. And that's exactly what he has done. And that's why we don't see as much swing and miss. The power is immense to wrap up on Walker. 10 batted balls, 110 miles per hour and above. That is stupid. 77 batted balls, 100 miles per hour and above as well. And mind you, that is just an 82 game. So this guy is very, very, very good. And I would not put it past him to be in the conversation a year or two down the road as one of the top prospects in baseball. He's already top 25, maybe better than that. Uh, But in terms of who could be the next big three at the top, I would say Jordan Walker is in that conversation, especially if he's able to stick at third base, which I think he can. Look out for Jordan Walker, far and away the number one prospect in this Cardinal system. What a pick by them at number 21 overall in 2020. We'll move on to number two. And number two is Nolan Gorman, a guy who went about two picks earlier, a couple years earlier, at the 19th overall pick in 2018. Nolan Gorman has been phenomenal statistically. I mean, he has been a guy that has made it work despite aggressive assignments. And I always find the aggressive assignments really interesting with Nolan Gorman because He's a guy that I would just like to have seen spend more time in double A. I thought it was interesting to see him get promoted to triple A pretty early into the season last year. 43 games in double A and they promote him to triple. What I like is that Gorman has worked really hard. Uh, And from what I've heard, he has been working with some of the best hitting minds that the Cardinals have to offer. Continuing to tweak his swing and afford him the ability to have enough time to recognize those breaking balls have the ability to hang in there left on left and also be able to catch up to Velo. Those are all the things that I was really concerned about. And again, when I'm hard on Nolan Gorman, it's relative to where I'm seeing him ranked. I'm seeing him ranked in the top 20. And look, I think he can get there. But the problem is you cannot be a top 20 prospect in my mind when you are adjusting to a new position at second base, which I think he could eventually do if he's going to play there. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to play him at third because they have that Nolan Arenado dude. Uh, But Also, when you can't hit lefties, because it's not really competitive for him in terms of the splits against lefties. The guy pulverized right-handed pitchers to a 305, 355, 543 slash line last year, but against southpaws, 202, 264, 294 slash line. So there's just no power there. 898 OPS against righties, 558 OPS against lefties. That's a bit concerning. Uh, But again, I think we forget how young he is. He's 21 years old. He'll be 22 right around the time the season starts. In a week, he'll be just about to turn 22. So still extremely young. To do what he has done at the levels already is pretty remarkable. To, to do what he did in AAA is, is pretty remarkable. And I'll take you through the numbers in AA and then triple. In AA, 288, 354, 508 slash line. So that's a 129 WRC+. plus. For whatever reason, he gets the bump up to triple. He really held his own in triple. I was concerned that more experienced lefties would be able to carve him up, and they did, but I was I was more worried that 
righties would start to keep him in check. And I'm not saying that righties would dominate him, but if Nolan Gorman is hitting 260 against righties, then he's in trouble because he's not going to hit above 210 against lefties, at least last season. But what he continued to do was dismantle righties, and and that's what he has to do. The problem is I want to see him avoid that Jock Peterson profile, right? I want to see him avoid a platoons guy, and he can easily do that because he is 21 years old. So when I am hard on Gorman, it's because I don't want people to expect him to get up to the big leagues as soon as possible and succeed. I don't know why the Cardinals are so aggressive with him right now when he has some things to work out in that regard. But what I will say is Gorman is doing all of the things he needs to do. He is continuing to work on on that pitch rack, continuing to work on staying on the baseball. That front hip tends to fly open. Sometimes he wants to go get it. And you'll see him take some really bad swings from time to time. But this spring, I've seen him hang in there much better. And I think that's a testament to the adjustments that he has made this offseason. I'm very eager to see how those adjustments continue to help him. Uh, the the contact rates, I think, are going to continue to tick up. They weren't bad. It's just about hanging in there against lefties. And the chase rate's a little bit high. Those two things will continue to improve. And the fact that he held his own at the AAA level is extremely encouraging. I think he is athletic enough to play an average second base. The arm will obviously play up there. And down the line, he will be a third baseman, I think. It depends how long Nolan Arenado is going to be out there. But if they ever need to move someone over to third for whatever reason or in five years down the road, I still think Gorman will be able to do that. So he gives you a little bit more now versatility if he's able to play second. And what I like about Gorman is he continued to work through those things in the fall league as well, and I thought the swing looked really good in his handful of games in the fall league. So I am becoming more optimistic because of the malleability of his swing. And that's the thing I'm always looking at, right? When I'm concerned about certain guys' swings, when I see them willing to make those adjustments and making those adjustments, the tangible changes to their swing and having that start to translate, then it's pretty hard to argue against what they're doing there in the box. So Nolan Gorman, a name to watch at the AAA level, see how those adjustments continue to trend for him. Probably more of a 40 to 45 hit tool guy, but when you have plus game power and maybe even plus plus raw power, I think he's close to just plus raw power. There's a lot to like from a left-handed bat who does a good job of just getting the ball in the air and natural carry. So Gorman is, is clearly the number two prospect for me here. Next up is a guy who I think can really help this St. Louis Cardinals team as soon as possible. This is the one dude that probably should be up as soon as possible. Though I am a little bit concerned just about his ability to locate the heater and also just just the profile of the heater in general. Um, I, I think he can still be a really solid arm, but I just don't know if he is quite there yet. Matthew Libertor has really interesting stuff. I mean, the curveball gets rave reviews, but if you've listened to a couple episodes in the past, I think I talked about Matthew Libertor and how the curveball to me is actually not his best pitch. It's the slider. The slider is actually better. And we're seeing that now reflected in his pitch usage, which is really funny because I remember just saying, I don't know about that curveball. It looks pretty, but it's slow. It's easy to read and it's easy to shut down. Or if he hangs it, it's easy to sit back on and crush. It's one of those things where you see just lower velocity curveballs not playing the same anymore because 
The hitter naturally just has more time to pick it up, adjust, and at least spoil it or foul it off. Everything right now is is hard and harder. You want to have this separation, but at a certain point, if you're throwing 72, 74 mile per hour curveballs, they're going to have to be devastating to be effective. His looks pretty, but it just was not as effective of a pitch for him last year. The numbers would back that up. His slider was actually good. It had continued to be better and better as the year went on. It's sharper. He located it better, especially to his glove side. And that was the pitch that he started to lean on more as the season endured. And he started to have more success as the season endured. Last year as a whole, opponents had a 741 OPS against the curveball and just a 581 OPS against the slider, which by the end of the season, he had thrown about 8% more frequently. So that is just a testament to his increased and improved feel for the pitch. He started to throw it a bit more in spring training, and I think that was the pitch that actually worked for him. At times, he'll leave it up, which causes him to, you know, of course, give up some homers. But I would rather him go to that slider more because of what it brings in terms of swing and miss and how it sets up his changeup potentially, as well as his fastball. The curveball just it's good to mix in. It's good to steal strikes. It's still a good pitch, but it's not this plus plus pitch, in my opinion, that it's been lauded as. And I think the slider is closer to plus. And especially when he locates that thing to his glove side, it is nasty against lefties, but it's effective against righties as well. It really ties them up. Whereas the curveball, again, righties have a little bit more time to at least spoil it. Or if they're sitting on it, uh, forget about it. The fastball, this is my problem. And we saw it with the home run that Francisco Lindor hit. I know it's Francisco Lindor, but I, I looked at that fastball. His velo's up. He's up to around 94, 95 miles an hour, or at least he was in that spring outing. But the fastball is straight as an arrow right now, and he's trying to elevate it to beat guys at the big league level, and it's just it's just not going to happen, uh, not with that profile. I personally would like to see him use a two-seamer a bit more. Uh, I saw some starts last year where he went to that two-seamer, and it looks really good. If he's not going to use the two-seamer, which it doesn't seem like he's going to use it too much, then the changeup needs to continue to develop. I thought it showed some good flashes last year, but he tends to leave it up at times. It tends to get a bit firm on him. If the changeup develops, then it can help mask the fastball, which just really is a bit flat. And even though it ticked up in velo, which helps, I'd rather him be more 92, 93 and locating it than 95 and missing over the heart of the plate because guys are going to crush that. So for Libertor, I think he could be up a couple weeks into the season and survive. Uh, especially for this Cardinals rotation that now Jack Flaherty is on the shelf. Steven Matz has looked shaky. We don't know how Miles Michaelis is going to pitch and some of these other guys that are in the fold for them. Uh, there's a good chance we see Libertor early, but he's going to need to find a way to survive up there. And for me, that is using the slider pretty heavily. That is either having a changeup that's more developed or just pitching to ground balls with the two seam. If you have two seam slider and a curveball and even an average changeup that you can mix in, even if none of those pitches are plus as a lefty, you are going to be able to, I think, get enough outs, especially because the slider, when he locates it, is closer to plus. And the curveball, again, it still has a good shape. If you mix it in in the right spots, it's a great pitch, but it couldn't be leaned on the way he was leaning on it as that go-to out pitch. It just doesn't quite have that ability, that devastating kind of ability. So Libertor, though, I mean, you look at the numbers last year, he was still very solid, but another guy that just didn't quite put it together the way you would hope. And I do wonder if the reason why the Rays parted with Libby after watching him pitch for what was 
two different seasons. One was at the rookie ball level and then a full year at the low A level really forced them to realize, hey, maybe this guy's stuff isn't quite ever going to tick up the way we hope it would. Because at 19, he was in low A pitching really well. And you'd be surprised that, I I remember everybody being surprised that the Rays were willing to part with Libertor after pitching to a 3.1 ERA as a 19-year-old in low A in 78 innings. But he only punched out about 8.7 batters per nine, walked about 3.5 because he was nibbling a little bit. And I think that they saw a fastball that was a bit flat and no true plus pitch. And that may have made the Rays a bit more willing to part with him in that Randy Arozarena deal. You look at the season he had last year. It was kind of more of the same. 4.04 ERA. It is worth noting he jumped all the way to AAA, which is incredibly encouraging. And that's why I think he can survive at the big league level right now. But we don't want to see him survive. This is a top 100 prospect. We want to see him pitch really well. Um, And to settle into that number three ceiling that he has, there needs to be a bit more either life on that fastball or or more play with the changeup. But still, 4.04 ERA In AAA, he was better as the season went on, 124 and two-thirds innings, 8.88 strikeouts per nine. The walk rate was way down at 2.38 walks per nine. So that's the incredibly encouraging aspect of things. If you're a percentage person, I can bring those up as well. The percentages for Libertor, 23.7% K rate, which is is fine, not great, but the 6.3% walk rate is very solid. Whip at 1.25, though, a lot of loud contact, a lot of home runs, and that's my concern for him at the big league level. Still a top 100 prospect, but I am a little bit nervous about his ability to get swings and misses at the big league level and keep the ball in the yard. Next up is Ivan Herrera, who I've seen on some top 100 lists. To me, he's on the outside looking in, but definitely looks like he could be the future of the position for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, and a little tidbit, I, I was able to see Yadi Molina swing it a little bit on the backfields, which was really cool. He was just trying to get ready to go again. And instead of hopping straight into a big league game, he was playing against some prospects in the backfields. And you can tell the prospects just thought it was so darn cool. And I know Ivan Herrera probably wants to just follow Yadi around everywhere and just take it all in in this last season. But Herrera, he was solid last year. He was solid. But I do have questions about the approach. But the defense is good. He is a guy that I think they're hoping can progress this year. But this is going to be a very defining year for Herrera. His approach is not great. Uh, but what really stands out to me and, and gives me some confidence in him is is the, the contact ability. I, I was very ex- surprised because you watch him and you see a guy that's extremely pull happy. And I wasn't surprised to go see the data and see that he pulls the ball about 51% of the time, which is a very unsustainable rate for success at the big league level. You're going to have to really hit a lot of home runs to have success in that in that regard and get a lot of quality of contact. But the 87% zone contact rate it is phenomenal. And that was something that I was not expecting to see. So you see the bat to ball skills there. But what the problem is for Herrera is he wants to go get everything. He's wanting to go catch everything out in front of home plate. If you're catching a fastball out in front, that can result in some pull side homers. But what happens when it's a changeup? You're not going to have much success there. What's great is he does have some of that swing malleability where he can still, even if he's committed to a pitch, still keep his hands back enough to put the bat on the ball. But 
And so instead of waving at it, you know, like a lot of other guys do who cheat to try to catch the ball out in front of home plate, he's still able to stay back and get the bat on it, but it's a weak chopper or a pop-up or whatever it may be. And that's why he was not great against breaking balls and change-ups. He was good against fastballs. The pull rate is is definitely something to watch. Uh, I, I would not want to see him pulling the ball 50% of the time this year, but the bat-to-ball skills are actually very strong. He has great hand-eye, and that can translate for him. He has a pretty good eye as well. His chase rates are above average, comfortably above average, and that's why I don't totally understand why he is cheating sometimes to catch everything out front. I don't know if he feels like he can't catch up to the velo, uh, but the pitch recognition isn't terrible and the contact rates are good. So it's a bit of a unique profile here from Herrera, but that's why I wouldn't be shocked if Herrera puts it together this year because he has some interesting data behind him. I also wouldn't be shocked if he continues to struggle to use the whole field and have that bat-to-ball ability translate into results, right? Because, I mean, we're talking about somebody that hit 231 this year. The 346 on base definitely helps and bodes well. And if he can continue to trust his swing and use the whole field, then he'll be in good shape. But right now, it's a front side flying open kind of swing. We saw him make some adjustments in that regard to try to keep himself closed. He starts very upright. His toes almost pigeon-toed in a little bit to try to keep that front side closed. So he has some cues there. You can tell that there's some thought, uh, but it's not quite translating yet. So I'm interested to see how that will translate this year because he could be a very very good catcher at the big league level if he puts it all together. I I really think that there's above average defensive ability here. Uh, There is athleticism behind the dish as well, and he could continue to develop to at least an average defender with a bit more chance for more depending on how the receiving develops. And I'll I'll add some extra points there for just having Yadi Molina uh, as a potential mentor as well. We could see Herrera at the big league level by the end of the year, especially if Yachty is fading physically, which I think is probably unfortunately going to happen. And at that point, maybe he'll have even more of an opportunity to be developed and and work with a legend that is Yadier Molina. I'd say the number one thing to look for if you're a Cardinals fan watching some Ivan Herrera at bats, if you see him using the whole field, then things are going to start looking good. If you're seeing him go the other way, if you're seeing him drive the ball to center field and he is also more consistent with his base, then get ready for a breakout. But if you're seeing him go pull happy, pull happy, pull happy, then uh, things could get a little bit iffy for him in terms of the consistency at the upper levels. And pitchers will exploit that with sliders breaking away from him as well. Checking in at number five here on this top 10 prospect list for the St. Louis Cardinals, which, by the way, you can read over at JustBaseball.com is a guy that is basically on the cusp of not being a prospect anymore because he already showed that he could actually swing it a little bit at the big league level. Lars Newtbar. Lars Newtbar is a guy that I was really expecting to see get quite a few ABs this year. I think he still could. I think he still will. But Corey Dickerson being added to the fold there makes it interesting. Uh, Newtbar and Dickerson are probably going to split some ABs. I thought it was fascinating to see them go get Dickerson because – I think Newbar can do everything that Corey Dickerson's going to do this coming season with more athleticism and an ability to play center field if you really need it. Newbar swung it well at the big league level last year for his debut and also was phenomenal in AAA and was just, it was a joke for him in the Arizona Fall League. I don't know why he was there. I guess they just wanted him to get some more ABs. His numbers in AAA. 308, 404, 496 last season, six home runs, 140 WRC+. 
18% K rate, 12.5% walk rate. At the big league level, he was incredibly solid as well. 239, 317, 422 slash line, five home runs, nine extra base hits, a 101 WRC plus. So he was just above average as a rookie for a team that was competing for a playoff spot. 22% K rate. 10.5% walk rate. So, I mean, didn't light it up at the big league level, but I thought that was a really strong debut for a cup of coffee up there. He's a guy that has an average to above average hit tool for me. Uh, I see average to above average power, average to above average run tool, average to above average fielder. So he's not going to light it up anywhere, but he's just good across the board. And, and I really like his swing. And generally, I, I look at somebody like Newt Barr and he's got that pretty sizable leg kick and you're like oh that might be hard to time up as he gets to the big league level but he's such a good athlete that he times it all up well he repeats his swing mechanics really well and he's got great control of his body so Newport is a guy that just has good tools across the board and has all of the makings to be a very good very solid long tenured big leaguer as a left-handed bat that could play all three outfield spots he's an above average defender in the corner probably more average if you have to force him into center, but he can do it if you really need him to. And if the speed continues to stay at above average at that 55 clip, then he is a very, very good all-around ball player. Ultimately, that hit tool is going to be the defining characteristic for Newbar because we know he's never going to hit 35 homers. We know he's never going to swipe 35 bags, and we know he's never going to win a gold glove, most likely, though I wouldn't totally rule it out in a corner as he continues to develop out there and his reads get stronger and stronger with the tools he has. But it's really going to be the hit tool, and I think the hit tool is very solid. I think that's been proven now, but if he can get that to where he's a 280 hitter, uh, and I know that's that's a tall ask, a 280 hitter at the big league level. We'll see if that's possible. I think it is. If he can get himself there, he is a long-tenured big leaguer that can give you above-average production. I mean, we saw what he did in AAA last year. Through his career in the minor leagues, has always been a very solid hitter, but has ticked the walk rates up, has ticked the contact rates up, and even the power has jumped a little bit as well. And he's someone that I think really benefits because he's a line drives hitter, benefits from the big league baseball. And I think we saw that with the five home runs he hit in 58 MLB games. That was more home runs per game than we had really seen at any other level other than the 35 games he played in AAA, which again, that is a big league baseball that sails out of the yard a little bit different. He doesn't strike out a lot. He brings a lot to the table. He hits lefties well enough as also. So I really like this guy. I know he doesn't have a ton of upside, but because of the high floor and because of the versatility and the left-handed bat and the above average speed, I really like him as the number five prospect in this system. Even though the guys behind him have more upside, you got to weigh the floor here. And I really like the floor for Lars Newtbar with a little bit more room to dream on still. I'm not totally sure where he fits into the equation for this team this year, especially because their outfield is so loaded. And now, as I mentioned, they added Corey Dickerson. But I do think he could be a pretty decent trade chip for them if they decide to move him. And Newtbar is a guy that I think a lot of teams could easily use. So a very solid prospect who, if he is with the Cardinals this year, should thrive in whatever role they put him in because I frankly think he is good enough to start for a big league team right now. Not a great big league team, but a big league team right now uh, and could be a great platoon option for any team in baseball this coming season. And I think we might see him do a little bit of that for the Cardinals moving forward. 
we'll get to the number six prospect on this list, and then the rest will be continued in part two, because I also have the card segment that I'm looking forward to getting into, of which Cardinals prospects I am looking to scoop up, because there have been a few that I have been scooping up. But number six is a guy that was at number nine during the season when we wrote up the Cardinals top 10. Now he's jumping up a little bit higher. He's somebody that has had a ton of upside. I really like what we've seen from him and what I saw on the backfields. I alluded to it in the beginning of the episode. Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn is maybe as tooled up as you're going to find, right? I mean, this is somebody that has plus speed, has maybe an 80-grade arm from shortstop. I think the defense continues to progress. You see easily plus raw power, but he hasn't tapped into it yet as a guy that was really in high school, more of that hit the ball hard and use your speed. Don't get me wrong. He would run into some, but he was a two-way player as well. And I know he still wants to pitch a little bit. Uh, He can run it up to the upper nineties on the mound, but I'm not sure that that's in the plans for the Cardinals. This is a name that could easily crack the top 100 list by midseason. I mean, that's how talented Mason Wynn is physically. Just 20 years old, just turned 20 years old 11 days ago, actually, so happy belated to Mason Wynn. He was a second-round pick in the 54th overall selection in 2020, but an overslot guy close to first-round money. He held his own in low way as well. I thought he was very solid there. The power wasn't there, and that's the thing that we're going to have to see. Can he start to get the ball in the air more and translate into pop? But 262, 373, 88 slash line, 14% walk rate, 21% K rate, and he swiped 32 bags. I can reiterate the... Stolen base stuff being a little bit wonky. It was fixed a bit in the second half. But to steal 32 bags, even if it's hard to hold runners on in 97 games, is a testament to just how fast this dude is. His bat-to-ball skills are are quite strong. It was just an out-of-sync swing. At times, he would be overly rotated. At times, the lower half would be out of sync with the upper body. But I was watching him on the backfields. And Mason Wynn looks a lot better. He's really simplified things in the box. He seems to have much more control over his body. And I think he realized... I don't need to try to physically create this power. I have ridiculous natural bat speed. I just need to impact the baseball with the right swing path and generate natural lift and backspin. Because for him, it wasn't a matter of swinging hard. It was a matter of swinging right. Wynn was almost too direct to the baseball at times, which would result in a lot of hard hit ground balls and just a lot of swings at pitches that would have been easy to lift, easy to drive into a gap that ended up being rollovers or or softer line drive. So I am very excited because I really see that gear towards not just being this sellout for power. I don't think he's ever going to be that guy because he's so fast. He's going to use the whole field. He's going to still be a line drive oriented hitter, but I see a guy that's in his hitters counts is ready to punish middle in and look to lift and crush a ball uh, over the left field wall, right? Like this is a guy that's has more of that adjustability in the box, which I just wanted to see so badly because I know that if this guy starts backspinning baseballs a little bit with his bat speed, they are going to carry out. And I see 20 plus home run power here with plus speed, with dynamic skills across the board and ability to potentially be a plus defender at shortstop as he continues to iron out his actions. I really like what I saw from Wynn and I, I loved how chattery he was in the field too. He's very active. He's communicating with his team. You can see that that just love for the game out there. I like everything he brings to the table. And this is a guy that I think the Cardinals are very excited about and somebody that has a ton of upside outside of their top five prospects 
Look out for Mason Wynn. I would not be shocked at all to see him catapult into the top 100 consideration by the middle of the season with some of those adjustments that I've seen and just the natural skill that he has. To transfer over to the card segment of this, and again, we'll, we'll get to part two of this Cardinals farm system later on on Monday. I'm very excited to get into that because I, I really like some of these back-end names in this system. As I mentioned earlier, Alec Burleson. But to reiterate on Mason Wynn, I think he's a great pickup right now. What's ironic is in that 2020 Bowman draft set, which is what he was included in, he did not have an autograph in that set, so he is yet to have an autographed card. But Mason Wynn's first Bowman Chrome is a great pickup. You can get it for about 10 bucks right now on eBay. And you know I'm always going to be giving out on this Collector's Digest series powered by eBay. You know I'm going to be talking about some of those Cheap buys that have big upside. He doesn't have an autographed card right now. When he does, uh, whenever that's in a set, definitely scoop those up. But he's only going to have one first edition card. And, and this is his first edition card. And as Mason Wynn starts to tick up as a prospect, which I think he will, you just can't teach that wiry strength. And now he's controlling it and harnessing it. To get his Bowman Chrome Refractor for about 10 bucks. I know it's ungraded, but but that's a great deal. And there's a ton of them on eBay right now that you can scoop up. You could also get him to autograph that on top of the card if you ever came across him. That does not have the same value for those wondering. It doesn't have the same value as an on-card auto that was pulled out of you know a box. But given that he doesn't have one yet, uh, that could be something cool to do. But his base cards are very, very affordable at about 10 bucks, and, and I think it's a no-brainer refractor-wise. It's about five or six bucks for his base card period, maybe even cheaper than that. So definitely scoop those up in bulk if you can. Some people will sell just a whole lot of them, like 20 of them. And I would do it because it's it's a low risk. I, I'm not as confident in Mason Wynn maybe as I am with some of the other prospects that I'm pounding on the table about, but there's a reason why his cards are two bucks. Like that is a no brainer for a guy that could be a top 100 prospect. Anybody that I label that could be a top 100 prospect. I'm always canvassing eBay and seeing, and if, if, if the buy-in cost is that cheap, it's worth scooping some of them up. The opposite side of things, a guy whose cards are flooring me with how expensive they are, is Jordan Walker. And, and look, I know I just gushed about Jordan Walker for about 15 minutes, but my goodness are his cards going for a ton. His Bowman Chrome Auto, just, just the base Bowman Chrome Auto, if it's a, if it's a PSA 10, well over $1,000. And I think that's kind of nuts. I think Jordan Walker could be a superstar. And yes, he could be one of the best prospects, if not one of the top three prospects in baseball. But I would have a very tough decision. And I'll be honest, I'm always going to peel back the curtain and talk about what I'm doing with the hobby and what I'm doing with my cards. I am not fortunate enough to have a Jordan Walker autograph, uh, but I did open a ton of 2020 draft boxes. And I would buy some of those off of eBay if I found some for a good deal. Um, if I pulled base cards, which I'd usually get a couple base cards of Jordan Walker in those boxes, I'd obviously keep it. Uh, and I pulled a couple refractor base cards as well. Uh, but I don't know if I could justify holding on to these much longer. I think Jordan Walker could be a superstar. But right now, I could sell without an autograph, like no autograph, just as Bowman Chrome Refractor for about 75 bucks on eBay. And if I sell that, that's $75 I could put towards a prospect autograph that I really like. I have two refractors of Jordan Walker sitting here, and I'm looking at these things just go without an autograph. If I sell two of those, I could go get Jeremy Pena's Bowman Chrome Auto and probably have a few bucks left over. I think that's something I got to consider, right? Like that's 
there's a certain point where it's, I love Jordan Walker as a prospect, but where he's priced at has him really, he has to be a perennial all-star for his card to really be a good investment at this point. So I wouldn't really recommend buying Jordan Walker. If you pulled his autograph and you really, really believe in him, sure thing, hold on to it. Like I'm still going to hold on to a couple of the base cards, but there's no way I'm buying a Jordan Walker. If I were lucky enough to pull him, I'd have a tough decision. I would really want to talk myself into holding on to it, but I really feel like with the money that I could sell it for, I mean, he has PSA nines going for 550 bucks. Bowman Chrome Auto base card, PSA 9, 550 bucks as of February 20th. So probably going for even more now as the season comes closer and people get more amped. Probably a $600 plus card. I just think I could do so much more with that money and get so many other cards that have plenty of upside and just look at it from that perspective. But I also would not blame anybody for wanting to hold on to their Jordan Walker. I just don't know if that is necessarily uh, a great investment at this point, but not a bad hold by any means. Back to the cheaper end of things, a guy that he's, he's probably not going to make you uh, a millionaire. You're not going to retire because of this guy, but he will definitely make you some money. And if you're a Cardinals fan, it's a good time to get in cheap on a guy that I think could be a part of the Cardinals future. Alec Burleson's Bowman Chrome autographs on eBay right now, $20. $20 for an Alec Burleson Bowman Chrome auto. This is a big league bat. Alec Burleson is a big league bat, and I'm hoping to get him back on the podcast soon. Uh, He was on Locked On MLB Prospects a little while back, and what he told me, too, is I asked him, how are you hitting for this power? How are you making this breakout offensively? And he said, I'm just not pitching anymore. At ECU, at East Carolina University, he was pitching and hitting. And he couldn't really put on that man strength, as he described it, that physical corner outfielder strength, because you were trying to stay healthy as a pitcher and stay very flexible and loose. Since he stopped pitching at ECU and got drafted as an outfielder in the second round, he has been able to put on more physicality or put on more weight and be more physical. And we've seen it translate into offensive numbers. And that's exactly what's happening with Burleson. But what I really like is the approach. Each level that Burleson was promoted to, his strikeout rate dropped. 30% K rate in high A, 20% K rate in double A, 15% K rate in triple A. Yes, the production took a bit of a hit too, but I love to see that ability to just survive because I think that these were outrageous promotions as well. He had no business going beyond double A. He put up ridiculous numbers in double A, 14 home runs in 63 games. I think that's why the Cardinals wanted to promote him quickly. And yes, the numbers did take a hit in triple A, but the walk rate went up and the K rate went down. And that was the thing that I think he was focusing on. And now I think he'll unleash the power a bit more this coming season in triple A. But when you can get his Bowman Chrome autos for $20 on eBay, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm scooping those up. 20 to 25 bucks, I'm scooping all of them up. And if you really want to have the larger margins in terms of trying to make more money, you can get his Blue Wave Refractor, which is a, out of 150 cards, which generally goes for a ton when it's a big name prospect for about 40 bucks. Literally 40 bucks for one of his more rare cards. That, even if he's an above average big leaguer, those cards will be going for a lot. Burleson is a guy I really like as a prospect. I really think is going to be a solid big league bat, similar to Newt Bar, but with more offensive upside and more power. And who knows where this guy can go. The last thing I'll say is out of 75, he had a Bowman Chrome Auto out of 75, extremely rare go for $85. He is blatantly overlooked. He can really swing it. He's not going to win an MVP award, but if you have some of his rarest cards and he is a solid big leaguer, 
that is a great investment. It can only go up from here. There's some prospects that are hardly playing baseball anymore or might be out of the league that are going for about $15 to $20 on their Bowman Cromato. So his card is, is still at the floor and it's only going to go up from here. Even if he just gets called up and he's decent, it can only go up from here. And I think he's going to be phenomenal in AAA this year. I've loved what I've seen from his ABs, and I think he's going to be a great player. And he's a great dude as well. So scoop up those Alec Burlesons. If not, I'm going to be doing those myself. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode. I'm going to be doing more on the rest of the system in part two later on on Monday. And very excited to get into more of these prospects that have stood out to me. And some of the underrated names on the backfield that you may not have even heard of that you will hear about soon because I am very sold on some of these dudes. But as always, thank you for listening. If you could leave a rating, that would be phenomenal to help me grow this show. The numbers have been so great to see continue to grow and I can't thank you enough for listening. It's our last Friday without minor league baseball and I cannot wait to talk more minor league baseball with you on Monday. goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.